Amen. Let's get this redemption, y'all. Okay, so Baruch Shemo, like to welcome everybody to our new Sefer of Torah study. We're in Sefer Shemot and Parasha Shemot. So this week, there are so many different things, obviously, happening in the Torah portion. And if you're catching the Aliyah today, get you some help, because that's what you're going to need. I've been tapping out on every episode. It's been like absolutely ridiculous. But what I want to share is from the Basora this week. So Bezrat Hashem, with every C-Class podcast, I will be seeking. Yeah, the seeking class. That's right. C-K-I-N-G, seeking. Okay, to uh, make this thing Basora style. Not quite tour to Basora. But uh, just kind of bring in some of the uh, the insights that we can glean from each portion that goes with the Basora or each portion of Basora, the good news, the Gospels that goes with the Torah portions. So this week, surprise, we're in Matthew chapter two. Matit Yahu is his Hebrew name or Matai for short. And uh you know, got to check my tie real quick. Anyway, uh, so in chapter two, verse first 12 verses, we're reading about the birth of the Redeemer, just like we read about in the Torah portion, the birth of the first Redeemer. And the Basura portion, we're reading about the birth of the final Redeemer. Beautiful thing is both of them have close connections to one another because Moshe spelled backwards is Hashem. And Yeshua came in the name of Hashem. And the name of Hashem is also attributed to the Torah. So there's some Zohar drop for us already out the gate that the Torah is called by the name of Hashem. So there's that. Um, Moshe is also the same gematria as Shiloh, which is another name for the Mashiach. And Yavo Mashiach, which is the coming of, or Sigat Yavo Shiloh, which is the coming of Shiloh, is 358, which is the Gematria of Mashiach. So, also, when you say Yavo Moshe, you're also still in the same Gematria, because again, Moshe and Shiloh have the same numerical value. So, if you say Yavo Moshe or Yavo Shiloh, you're still saying. Mashiach. So whether it's Moshe or whether it's actually Shiloh, actually Mashiach Yeshua, then you're still saying Mashiach. So this is why Moshe and Mashiach are like likened to one another. This is why the passage in Devarim says that there's one who will come after me and you shall listen to him. 
Okay, so there's a whole lot on that. You know what? Let's get into that before we go to the Basora. Um, let's see here. I know it's in Devarim. I believe it's chapter 18. Could be wrong. One who comes after me. Whatever is it. Survey says. Hmm. No, it's in here. Don't be playing hard to find. Walking his ways, listen to his voice. Okay. There it is. I knew it. Okay. Well, I, I, I won't say I knew it, but uh, Devarim 18.15. Let's read the Hebrew, shall we? Navi, a prophet. Mikir Becha, from your mist, from among you. Navi Mikir Becha. Me'achecha. Okay, so first of all, who's Moshe talking to? Jews. Okay, so he's saying a Navi. Check this out. Definition of a Navi. Spokesman, speaker, prophet. First use. Uh, sheet 20, verse 7. Talking about Abraham. Okay, that escalated quickly because Abraham was also a king and he was also a priest. Thank you, Melchizedek. That's how he was able to offer Yitzhak as a Corbin and the Akira from Genesis 22. Anyway, so Navi, Mikirbecha, Me'acheka, from your mist and from your brothers. Kamoni, like me. Kemo, which is like, as, or when. First time this is used is of uh, Bereshit 19.15. says, when the coming of the dawn, okay, with the coming of the dawn, okay, which is <laughs> Ukmo HaShachar, Allah. Ayin Lamit Hey, not Allah, like the Shmala, I should say. Uh, not that uh, deity false deity okay but uh when with the coming of the morning and so it's just kind of like wait what the coming of the morning has to do with likened okay anyway um so just gonna pretend like that didn't really happen because that's ridiculous like the coming of the morning like because the redemption happens like sunrise 
So Moshe is saying that there's going to be a prophet who comes like sunrise, who's going to be from your midst and from your brothers. That's what I'm tripping about. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Okay, so it says, Yakim will raise up Lecha for you. So a prophet from among your midst and your brethren like me shall raise up for you. Who's going to do this? Adonai Elohecha, Hashem your God, Elav Tishmaun, and to him you shall listen. So, Devarim 18.15 just went down in the DM. Okay, so I want to just check on some, uh, just a few little drops, if you will, on this verse. Because obviously it's ridiculous. Okay, Rashi. This means one who is as I am. What does that mean? Because Moshe, they can't tell whether he was a man or an angel. It's like, obviously he was a man. But it's like, yeah, but there's a lot about him being angelic. Anyway, by the way, when everybody was dying from hearing the voice of Hashem, Moshe was the only one who walked up the mountain and remained alive. Selah. Everybody else was dying. They were losing their souls. And then Hashem was putting their souls back into their bodies. And Moshe was like, okay, go on. <laughs> and everybody else is like, stop it. Stop it. I can't take it. Moshe is like, all right. Brukashim, I mean, I received that. I mean, come on. You know, and everybody else is like, okay, enough. Moshe, you go talk to him. And he's like, uh, wow, thanks, guys. Y'all are freaking out. Y'all are scared of the mountain. Y'all are dying and coming back to life. And yet you want me to go up and talk to him and you don't want to hear him talk anymore. So say when I go up and talk to him, because you don't want to hear him anymore. So like when I come back, that means you're going to have to listen to me because I'm the only one who really listened to what he actually said and was still alive enough to really speak it back to you. So therefore, if you have any problems, please remember this moment. Because now I'm breaking away from my little rant. That is not really a rant. It's just kind of the Met Midrash on Shemot 19 and Shemot 20. But I digress because so many people want to slam Moshe and throw him under the bus. Be like, oh, Moshe was a murderer. Oh, Moshe, you know, is like, nah, I can't believe one man brought all that down. This is like, OK, so his staff was the weight of a mikvah, which is 40 say ah. The tablets were 40 say ah. So like say la. So when you can carry around 40 say ah all day. It's just kind of like, okay. Uh, anyway, so I am tempted to do the way to 40 say, I, but just note how much water you're supposed to put in a mikveh. Okay. The halakhic requirements for that amount of water is 40 say, ah, that amount of water is the weight of the sapphire tablets. And it's also the weight of the staff that Moshe carried around the sapphire staff. So. Ask him one more question. But anyway, <laughs> don't think you want to do that. If you can't carry the staff, you probably don't want to be having a staff meeting. Okay, anyway, 
because his rod and his staff will comfort you. Okay, but anyway, uh, says, continuing on in Rashi, someone who's like me, from your midst, from your brethren, i.e. Yeshua is probably Jewish. He's probably not Christian. He's probably not from the church. And he's probably not teaching anything other than Torah. Because if he is, disqualified. Because he has to be like Moshe, from the midst of the Jews, and from the brothers. Side note, did you know, in order for there to be a king of Israel, i.e. king of the Jews, he has to be a Jew? Just want you to think about that. Because so many people say, oh, Yeshua is my king. And it's just like, why are you going to church on Sunday? Why are you celebrating every holiday but the ones that the king of Israel commanded us? It's just like, ooh. Why we got to go there? It's just like, I'm just saying, if he's your king, you have to be subject to his rule. All right. So, uh, and it says he will race up unto you, which means in my stead, in my place, just like the ram that was substituted for Yitzhak. It was in his place. So, i.e., when this prophet that Hashem raises up. Cause what did, what do most people say about Yeshua? Oh yeah, that man was good. He was, he's a great teacher. He's a great prophet. Oh man. He was, he was awesome. He was anointed of Hashem. It's just like, okay. Anointed means Mashiach <laughs> anyway. But, uh, you know, you have to know Hebrew in order to get that obviously, but yeah, just saying that if he's our King, we're probably going to begin to learn some Hebrew or we should. One of the reasons why I am here, by the way, as a Lepidnik is because I began to learn Hebrew against all odds and against all uh, deflections and discouragements. I, I learned it. I went for it. I was like, whatever. Give me transliteration, whatever. Give me a few of the letters, whatever. Like, oh, it's a dead language. Oh, I'm sorry. Side note. Midrash or Ba drive by right now that uh, in the Tower of Babel, when it talks about confusing the languages, it said that I'm going to make their language like a cadaver, like a dead corpse. So literally any other language besides Hebrew is like into a dead corpse. I just want to throw that out there because the accusation was that the Hebrew was a dead language. But yet the languages that exist in the world now because the, we got scrambled and scattered from the Tower of Babel, uh, we're likened to cadavers. So we're really hard of hearing, really hard of speaking. It's really hard to get our point across sometimes. And it's so interesting that when you just get down to the Hebrew of everything, clarity. You can give me English. You can give me Greek. You can give me Spanish. You can give me Latin. It's going to be awesome, but it's going to get real, <laughs> pun intended, when you give me the Hebrew. Just saying. Okay, so anyway, so in the place of Moshe will be Mashiach. And then it says, and so likewise from prophet to prophet throughout all ages. Okay, Ibn Ezra says a prophet of God, not a soothsayer. So if you think Mashiach is a wizard of some sort, wrong. 
Rambon, I can get some Rambon here. Okay. A prophet from among you, from your own people like myself, which means he's probably going to not uh, be from uh, a, uh, let's see how I want to put this. Basically. Okay. So Moshe was born of a Jewish man, a Jewish woman. Right. Okay. And it's super supernatural. And then Sika mostly raised, by the way, he was actually uh, 13 when he moved into the house of Baya. So all the way up until Bar Mitzvah age, he was raised in his household. I was reading that. Uh, where did I read that? That was in. Oh, I just saw it. I just, just saw it. Who was that bringing that down? Dun, 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 dun. Was it a Lakute something? Hmm. Okay, but literally, I, I just read it in one of these sources. It was it was crazy. It was like till he was twelve or thirteen, basically. Uh, he was in the household of his mama. There it is. Ramban. Look, look at that. Ramban. Moshe was 12 years old when he fled. Um, okay, but that doesn't speak to him being in the household of Baya, which is the daughter of Pharaoh. <sighs> well, Sleek, I don't have the source on that, but if you really need it, I can get it for you. And I will figure it out because I literally read that and I was very, very surprised by it. But anyway, let me finish this rumbon over here. It says, uh, oh, because Moshe was in the household of non-Jewish people, i.e. Pharaoh, Pharaoh's palace. Though his mother was Jewish, he was Jewish, all that kind of stuff. Just like Mashiach is uh, not a Christian, but the church proclaims him. And uh, most people who are Christians uh, actually believe in him and uh, yet, but they don't realize his Jewishness and are not doing his Jewishness, which is kind of awkward and funny because he still is. He doesn't celebrate, you know, December the 25th because December the 25th is not a real day because there's only the Hebrew months. But one of the kings of Rome decided, I want my own calendar. And it's like, okay, thanks a lot, you know. And so now we have to remember all these other extra dates. But anyway, uh, and then he went away and he came from Midian to redeem the people. So he came from a very like, he didn't come from the land of Israel kind of thing to redeem the people. Like Yeshua, when he comes for the final redemption, he's going to be leaving the gates of Rome to come for the final redemption. So it's just kind of like, okay. Anyway, so all that uh, basically is what Ramban is saying. A prophet from among you, from your own people, like myself. So everything that applies to Moshe, it applies to Mashiach. Okay. So like not literally everything because obviously Mashiach, or Moshe wasn't divine, but he had divinity in him uh, to a certain extent as was imbued upon him, like the shiny face, the uh, the fight he had with Hasatan about his soul. He couldn't take his soul, only Hashem could. 
is that Moshe died uh, on command, not on purpose not on accident or anything like that. He died because Hashem commanded him to. So there's that. Anyway, just a few things to throw out. It says the reason that the verse states from among you is to hint that there is only prophecy in the land of Israel. This is why scripture says the Valley of Vision pronouncement. As our sages recall in the Makilta beginning in Parashah Bo, or Shemot 12, 4, the reasoning is the same for the phrase from your own people. Hashem placed you on a higher level than all the nations and only and will only place his spirit up on you. So therefore, when Hashem is placing his spirit upon people, he's elevating people to the nation of Israel. So just want to throw that out there just from deductive reasoning. Because Hashem says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh which means he's going to elevate people from the nations. That's why Yeshua said, go out to all the nations. Matthew 28 much. Anyway, like myself, one who is like I am from among your brethren, he will raise for you in a place of me. And so from prophet to prophet through the generations. This is the explanation of Rashi. Rabbi Avraham Ibn Ezra says, like me, Meaning, just as I am a prophet of Adonai, not a magician or soothsayer. Again, not a magician or soothsayer. What is that walking on water and the healing and all the eye-opening stuff and the multiplying the fishes and the loaves stuff and the walking through wall stuff and walking through crowds that want to stone him stuff? It's not magic. It's not soothsaying. Just want to point that out. Says it could be. That the phrase from among you is to say that you can trust his words because he is your brother from among you. And so it appears to me that like myself means he will be trustworthy to speak as a prophet of Adonai so that you can believe him just as you believe me. And by the way, Shemot chapter 14, it says they believed in Moshe and believed in Hashem. So in order for us to truly believe in Mashiach, we have to believe in Hashem, which brings us back to square one, being like Abraham, being Jewish, being observant, all that wonderfulness. Uh, one more thing, because I like Hizkuni. Hizkuni is uh, by far one of my most favorite commentors on the Parashah. What does he say? Hizkuni is like a man with two points. And I'm out. First point, he says, from among your brethren, someone like me. Moshe refers to Yehoshua in this verse. Oh, my gosh. Moshe refers to Yehoshua in this verse. I don't I don't think uh, I don't think that's that's uh, I don't think that's in there on accident. You know, it's just kind of like. Just so happens I'm referring to Yehoshua who has the same name as Yeshua. Like it meant Yeshua the first time. Gonna guess it meant Yeshua the second time. Just like when Hashem allowed Moshe to break the sapphire tablets and we come back with the stone tablets. The same Torah that was on the first one is the same Torah on the second one. Now, obviously, minus all the supernaturalness and all that kind of stuff. But, you know. And the second point of Hiskuni, he says, you are obe you are to be obedient to him. 
Compare what is written in Devarim 34.9. says, all the Israelites listened to him, i.e. they were obedient. So when Yeshua says, today, if you hear my voice, yeah, today, if you hear my voice. That's just, don't really know what to do with that. Because he's just basically said today, if you hear my voice. Lakute Maharon 272, section one. This is an important rule in the service of God. One should focus only on today. Did not Yeshua say that? Today has enough worries of its own. What did he say? Let's see. Tracking this down. Yeah. Matthew 6 stuff. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Who knew Yeshua was Hasidic? All right. Oh, goodness. Okay, because Matthew 6, right? Talking about provision and all that wonderful stuff, daily bread, all that, right? Don't worry about it, all that kind of stuff. Focus on Hashem. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, right? Okay. Continuing on with this Lakute Maharon 272, section 1 and 2, it says, one should focus only on today and our service to Hashem, right? says, whether with regard to his livelihood and personal needs, he should not think about one day to the next as it is brought in the holy books. Or with regard to his serving God, he should not consider anything beyond this day and this moment. Ugh. Yeshua says, take my yoke upon you. Next verse of Lakute Maharon says, for when a person wants to enter the service of God, it seems to him a heavy burden. He cannot possibly bear such a heavy load. However, when a person considers that he has only that day to deal with, he will find it no burden at all. Continuing on, don't wait, right? Okay, do it today. Today, if you hear his voice, it says, in addition, if a, a person should not procrastinate, from one day to the next thing, I'll start tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'll pray more attentively and with the right kavanah, which is enthusiasm. Zerizut, alacrity. And likewise for the other devotions. For a person's world consists only of the present day and moment. Tomorrow is a different world entirely. Finishes up. Lakute Maharon 2272 by saying, Today, if you hear his voice, specifically today, understand this. All right, so if we're going to keep quoting this psalm, okay, Psalm 95.7, you're going to make me pull out the psalm book. I now have a Shomer Blue for Tehillim. So 95.7. Go ahead and drop that beat. 95, 
95 is different from 90. And it's also different from 94. That's how it starts at the beginning. Come let us sing to Adonai. Alright, 95.7 it says If all Yisrael would repent for even one day Ben David brackets the Mashiach would immediately arrive as this this verse attests, even today, if you would but heed his call, if all Yisrael would observe a single Shabbat properly, Ben David would arrive, i.e. the day par excellence, Shemot 16, 25. The psalmist assures Israel, even today, Mashiach will come if we but heed his call. Yerushalayim Ta'anit 1, 1. In these words, Rabbi Nachman of Breslev detects an important principle for the proper service of God. Rabbi Nachman of Breslev is the person who composed Lakute Maharon, so check it out. Often a wave of inspiration stirs a man to dedicate himself completely to God's service, yet this enthusiasm quickly subsides when he looks ahead and realizes how staggering a task it is to serve God properly. The only way to avoid this disabling discouragement is to concentrate on serving God one day at a time and to ignore the obstacles of the morrow. Thus, today, if we but heed his call, teaches man to serve God as if today were the only day in his life. Goodness gracious. That right there, boy, that, that'll preach. Okay. This right here is the kind of stuff that just makes you just lose your mind when people go, yeah, but you're not Jewish. It's like, okay, so after I said Modeani today, have my kosher breakfast. Um, well, I mean, shakarid and all that kind of stuff. As I'm wearing my zizi, you know, if you're a man or if you're dressed as a nude as a woman, and, um, you know, you've done the Shema, you're like, I'm so sorry that you don't think I'm a legitimate Jew, but you didn't start this and therefore you can't finish it. Just like the gentleman who told me, oh, you're, Jew you're a Jew, but you're not Jewish, which is a nonsensical statement. But uh, that doesn't stop me from studying Torah and being observant. And the show enough didn't stop me from saying, Mashiach Yeshua, you are my king, and I worship the Lord God of Israel, like Mashiach and Hashem are one, and I follow Mashiach to fulfill, you know, the words of Hashem, because Mashiach is the king who teaches his people how to be obedient to his father and Shemaim. So, I mean, I was just kind of like, okay. So anyway, one day at a time, everybody. Okay, Basora, Matid Yahu, chapter, chapter two, says, now after Yehoshua was born in Bethlehem of Judea, side note, Bethlehem is also Betluam in Aramaic, thanks to the Bahir, 
not to be confused with the writings of the Bahir, but the bitings, I should say, of the Bahir, because we have a new Avenger. His name is Bahir. He is the Shomer version of the Beast from X-Men. And yeah, I'm talking about Mr. Esper. Okay, so yeah, he is our Georgia Lapidnik needing all kinds of help. Drop kicked me in the face with that. So that was cool. I have a blue uh, imprint on the side of my mask. Thanks to Bahir. Anyway, so he brought that down. So Bet-Luam in Aramaic is house of lamb. Bet-Lechem in Hebrew is house of bread. So between the Aramaic and the Hebrew, you have the house of unleavened bread and the house of the lamb. And yeah, we're talking Pesach because Bethlehem is next to Migdal Eder, which is where the Pesach lambs were kept and shepherded, which is why the angels appeared to those shepherds when Mashiach was born. Because they're like, hey, just want to let you know. One of your Pesach lambs is born over here. We need to wrap him in swaddling clothes and put him in the same manger that you're putting this year's Pesach in. Because, yeah, Yeshua was born not during December 25th because December 25th is not a Jewish holiday. Unless Jewish or unless December 25th coincides with one of the days of Kislev, which is during uh, Hanukkah time, if it's the 25th into the uh, first couple of days of Tibet. So because, you know, Kislev 25 is the beginning of Hanukkah, not the beginning of Xmas or birth of Messiah, as some people say. But if you're lighting your Hanukkah, then you would know, oh, somebody's being born or should we say born again? Because the lights of the Hanukkah, some amazingness. Anyway, so Bethlehem, that's where Yeshua was born. In the days of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. These Magi, by the way, were from the school and the academy of Daniel. Uh, all the way back from Babylon. Like, there's a whole uh, trace, like with the, uh, the yeshiva of Shem and Eber. That started uh, during that time and went all the way for Abraham and Yitzhak and Yaakov, you know, so that whole thing, how the the Academy of Shem and Ever stretched all throughout those times. The Academy of Daniel even stretched all the way up to the birth of Mashiach, probably even beyond that, because these Magi were from that school. So they knew how to look at the stars and the constellations, which are called Mazalot. So they knew how to see, you know, the Hebrew months and what's going on in the constellations and how the mazel flowed and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, those type of smart people. Some people call these gentlemen the three wise men. However, it doesn't ever say that there were just three of them. And however, they had a big entourage. So there was way more than three of these people. And by the time they got to Yeshua, Yeshua was not the little baby in the swaddling clothes. But anyway, so side note to that swaddling cloths, sleek eye. Uh, so, yeah. So it says, for we saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. They came. OK, we want to come. OK, let me go back because they just said a really key phrase. Says so the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, by the way, Yeshua wasn't in Jerusalem when he was born because he was in Bethlehem. 
So the these magi came to Yerushalayim. They didn't come to Bethlehem. So how long is it going to take to get from Yerushalayim to Bethlehem? It's going to take a little bit of time because they're not close together exactly. Okay. Then it says that they came to King Herod over there. And then it says, so where is the one born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. All right. Here's Pharaoh moment. Okay. Here is a Nimrod moment. Okay. Because now with the birth of Mashiach, I want you to think about the birth of Moshe and think about the birth of Abraham. Moshe, instead of King Herod uh, being in place, it was Pharaoh that was the king who was like, I don't want no, I don't want no redeemer born to the Jews. We got to kill all the babies. Okay, so that was Pharaoh when it was Moshe's time. When Abraham was born, that person who was tyrannical and they want Jewish babies born and redeemer and all that kind of stuff was Nimrod. Okay, so the same thing, there's stars being shown in the sky, birth of a significant Jewish person who's going to bring some kind of redemption. They're going to be born. So king, you might want to watch out. The kings freak out. So Nimrod and Pharaoh and Herod, okay? All three lined up, lined it up with Abraham, Moshe, and Yeshua. Okay, got it? Clicked in. Says, we saw it starting to come to worship him. So the king freaks out. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why does it say all Jerusalem with him? Because King Herod is connected to Rome. Yerushalayim, during the time of Mashiach, Yeshua being born and his ministry up on the earth, was during the Roman uh, engagement into things and buying out the temple so that it was a mix of uh, like true Torah service, but it was mostly Roman politics. So they literally had to put armed guards at the temple because when the pilgrimage festivals happens, this comes from the works of Josephus, by the way, that they didn't know if there was going to be a riot that broke out between different sects of Jews, uh, some of the zealots and things that were up there and all that kind of stuff, because people was getting killed for celebrating Pesach. And it's just like, OK, so who's leading out on this? And the priests were killing each other or the Levites were anyway, because they were running to try to make it to the sacrificial service so that they could like, I want to be the one who offers it up. And it's just kind of like, okay. So there's all sorts of ridiculousness going on. So this is why Jerusalem is in the same upheaval as King Herod, because that's how much of a king influence that Rome has on Jerusalem at this time. Also, why... There was the crucify him, crucify him spoken of to Yeshua when people were like, yeah, we have no king but Caesar. And it's just like, wow, seriously, that came out of the mouth of a, a Jew. Just something to think about during this whole episode of Mashiach being crucified and all that and uh, going before the pilot and all that kind of stuff. This was the day that you were supposed to be preparing for the Seder. And getting the Hamets out of your house. So the Hamets should have been out of your house by at least noon that day. Uh, and some, uh, even the Lakute Torah brought out that you have until the sixth hour. 
So, which is when darkness began to cover the earth, by the way, uh, during the crucifixion time. But anyway, I digress. So, people who were truly about their observance were focused on, I got to get ready for Pesach. I got to get my, you know, matzo ball soup ready. You know, I got to get my matzo ready, my afikoman all set up, get my coins and all this kind of stuff. And go figure, Mashiach was sold for silver coins. It's like, do not we ransom the Afikoman with with coins, silver coins to be exact? You know, and it's just kind of like, what? So, yeah, so like all this Pesach stuff is going on. And then, like, so just to point out that the people who were actually Torah-focused were not really the predominant people in the crowd. And if there were some Torah-focused people there that were interrupted from their Pesach preparations, they were there through the crucifixion to before sundown because even the mother of Mashiach Yeshua didn't even prepare his body for burial. She said, I got to go light candles. And her and the other Miriam didn't come back with the other women to really do the proper... uh, Havra Kadisha stuff to Mashiach's body, the Havra Kadisha details, Slika, until the day after the Shabbat. So, like, they waited over the Shabbat to uh, take care of Mashiach's body. And they had to engage with Pesach. So, just to point that out, so basically to say, long story short, the crucify him, crucify him people, we have no king but Caesar. Those weren't really pharisaical, Torah-true, Orthodox Jews. So, Jerusalem and King Herod in this Matthew chapter 2 portion are troubled. Continuing on, it says, And when he called together all the ruling Kohanim Torah scholars, he began to inquire of them where the Mashiach was to be born. Side note, what the rabbis know about Mashiach has a whole thing about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. So like it's prophesied, it's a thing. If the Mashiach is going to be born, and he is, and as Lapid we know, he was, Baruch Hashem. And is he returning? Yes, he is. Hopefully sooner than later. I mean, but anyway, so all of that should be known. Bethlehem is where Mashiach is supposed to be born. So... When King Herod is going to bring in the ruling Kohanim and the Torah scholars, their answer should be Bethlehem. So let's see what they say. He began to inquire then where the Messiah was to be born. So they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet and you Bethlehem land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Yisrael. Now, I love that. So they completely hit the nail right on the head. Absolutely nailed it. They're like, yep, Bethlehem. And we're going to bring down this prophecy. And this prophecy comes from Micah 5.1 and from 2 Samuel 5.2. Okay, so they did all that, right? It says, then Herod secretly called the Magi 
So now he's like, all right, get out of here, you Kohenim, Torah scholars. You've given me all I need to know. Now I need to execute my plan. I'm going to use these Magi. So Herod secretly called the Magi, determined from them the exact time the star had appeared. He's like, all right, give me your precise time. When did you see this star? So you saw this star. Then you start traveling from wherever you were in the east to Jerusalem. Now you're here. And now you're asking about where he is. How long did it take you to get from the east to Jerusalem? And now you got to go from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Calculate all that time out. I'm pretty sure Yeshua is more than one day old. Just, just going way out on a limb on that one. So when we have the church and Christianity bringing up the fact, oh, Yeshua was born on December 25th. He was born in a manger. Let's bring on the three wise men. Let's bring on the shepherds and let's have everybody at the manger scene. It's like, that's not quite how it went down. And furthermore, why does that manger look more or why does that uh, nativity scene look more like a sukkah? It's like a three sided little thing with like a crazy roof with some vegetation hanging off of it. And by the way, did you know the feeding trough was actually made out of stone because they used to wrap the Pesach lambs from Migdal Ader in uh, swaddling clothes and put it in that little stone trough because they didn't want it to get blemished. And it was shown that the one that's wrapped in swaddling clothing is the one that's going to be offered as the Pesach lamb. Any coincidence that Yeshua was crucified on Pesach? Anybody want to ask that question? Okay. Going on, just want to point out some things as we're reading this passage. You know, got to use critical thinking, got to put all the details in the focus. Because we got to clear this up. Uh, I'm going to take another soapbox swerve real quick because right now, because church has been so predominant over the centuries and is really just kind of taking the world by storm and everybody's like, oh, I'm a Christian. I am second. Da, 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 da. I abide in Christ and all this kind of stuff. And JC, my homeboy, all this kind of stuff, T-shirts, bumper stickers, all the above. So the thing is, we're supposed to be Torah observant. We're supposed to know scripture, like what the prophet said and we're supposed to know the holidays. We're supposed to know the meanings of the seasons and the times. Like we're supposed to be aware of these things. But church and Christianity, it's like if it doesn't come from them, then I don't really know if I need to be doing it. It's like, oh, you don't you don't think you should eat kosher because kosher's in the Bible, but yet the church and Christianity teaches you not to eat kosher, so you're not really sure if you should eat kosher. Like, do we really want to stop and just acknowledge the logic in that? You're gonna Throw away what the Bible says for the sake of an establishment and the sake of what's popular. Just so you can be like, all right, so I'm not really sure I'm I'm going to keep eating, you know, pork and shellfish and uh, mixing meat and dairy and uh, going to church on Sundays and not keeping the Shabbat and violating the Shabbat because church and Christianity. I mean, they have the Mashiach and they're teaching and I'm following Messiah. I'm abiding in him. It's like, okay, but you realize that all stands in the face of what God actually said in the Bible and how all of the apostles say all, all of the apostles lived, even Paul, because Paul had the opportunity to be like, no, I don't live like that. I'm not a Jewish person. I don't observe Jewish stuff. He had his chance. 
if you read in Acts, it says that the people were concerned that Paul was teaching people to abrogate the Torah, not to get circumcised and all that kind of stuff. Let's see here. It is in um, Acts chapter something, something. Let's see. But I'm bringing this all up to say that if we really, okay, Acts 21, Brukashem, this is the, the indictment. You, They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles, i.e. The, the pagans and non-Jews and nations, to turn away from Moses, turn away from the Torah. Okay, so Moses is equivalent to Torah, equivalent to the law, equivalent to the covenant. Literally, that's right there in that verse. So turn away from Moses. Teach them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. It says, what shall we do? This They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. So do what we tell you. I'm just going to end it right there. Because if Paul was not about that life, that Jewish life, that is, this was his time to speak up. So let me go ahead and just look at what happens after verse 24. Let's see. Hmm. So. Verse 25. So the next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. This would have been the time Paul was like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. That's done away with, man. JC, my homeboy. I had a vision. I've been in the desert. You don't know what I got. I've seen stuff you can't even talk about. You know, it's just like, but he didn't say that. He didn't do that. So therefore, if there's this seemingly opportunity that people are thinking that exists, I'm a follower of Messiah, but I don't have to do Jewish stuff. That's got to stop. Like, really stop. Like, you're lacking lots of information because why? Because like, I don't want to read the Talmud. I don't want to read Rashi. I don't want to read Mahumash. I don't want to study the Aliyah. Well, if that's going to be your stance, you're going to be missing crucial information that's going to be vital to your relationship with Hashem and your being established in the covenant. And furthermore, when you make all those adjustments, the question is, are you saved is becomes a nonsensical question. It becomes like, I don't even understand what you're asking me right now. Because a person who is in covenant, a person who is living in Hashem, literally because they're in the Torah, observing it, studying it, praying it, reading it, doing all that, like, what do you mean am I saved? If I wasn't saved, I would be, you know, on Sundays, going to church, celebrating all these other non-biblical holidays and doing whatever I want. Yikes. I know. It's the C-class. This is, this is just how it's going to be because we got to stop playing games. Hashem doesn't play games. He plays games with those who wants to play games. How do we know that? Because how did he act with Pharaoh? 
he acted just as stubborn to Pharaoh as Pharaoh acted with Hashem. Hashem was like, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh, Hashem didn't say that to him, but he was just like, okay, listen, you need to let Israel go. You need to come to the mountain and worship me. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, I don't know this Hashem person, whatever. And Hashem was like, okay, well, I don't know this Pharaoh person, so whatever. It's like, oh, you don't want to believe me. You don't want to listen to what I say. You don't want to do what I'm telling you to do. Okay, well, then I'm not going to listen to what you say, and I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. So it's just kind of like, all right, that's how we're going to act with one another because that's the relationship grounds that you want to establish. So if you want to think that some other covenant exists and some other Messiah exists besides Messiah Yeshua, who's the king of Israel, who leads his people in Torah and in conversion and all that kind of stuff. If you want to think that there's somebody like that, then fine. Let's go ahead and think that there's somebody like that. But when the cutoff time happens, you are not allowed to be mad. Because that's what you wanted to do, despite the many voices of the prophets, the many voices of the Lapides that you've been shown. All right. Back to the Basora reading. So, well, this is all going on. And they have the whole Bethlehem drop and all that kind of stuff. Herod gets the Magi does all the determination it says so now with all that being said we got the exact time the star appeared we should know about he should be about this age now okay by the time you can get from here to bethlehem that's all taken into account okay so now go so he sends him the bethlehem and says go and search carefully for the child notice he says the child just want to bring up a quick uh, Zohar drop, Parsha Balak. There's a child called Yanuka, and this child is uh, called an angel. He's not called human. Uh, they think of him as not human. The sages do. This child is teaching the sages and uh, dumbfounding them with all sorts of insights. So literally the Zohar refers to him as the child. And the child is a little boy and it's just him and his mother and all that kind of stuff. And so he doesn't have a father and he's just, you know, that's in the Zohar. So anyway, called the child. I don't really have time, but just for the sake of letting you know, like just to give you a little snapshot of this, because this is, I mean, this is good stuff. Like when it talks about the child, like, let's see here. Dun, 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 dun. Pull up my Zohar reference. Okay, so, yep, it's Parsha. Balak. Okay. Says. I want to get to the part. I'm just going to get right to the part where it talks about him not being human. Okay. Section 37. So. Zohar Balak. Six. Section 37. Okay, you ready for this? Better hold on to something. They're talking about the child. It says, at first I saw that you did not read the Shema. Now I see that you're not holy and elevated since my father did not see a holy man riding on a donkey. 
without bringing after him a donkey to carry the burden of Torah. That's a very mystical, lot of information there, but got to keep moving. Since you were not meritorious enough that my father should follow after you on a donkey, I will not tell you who my father is. Rabbi Yehuda said to Rabbi Yitzhak, it seems to us that this boy is not human. They ate. The boy was speaking words of Torah and giving new insights in the Torah. They said, let us bless. He said to them, you spoke well since the name, since the Holy One is not blessed through this blessing only by summons. Again, that is Zohar Balak uh, 6. Section 37, the child is not human. This is the same child that power or uh, I was about to say Paro, Pharaoh, uh, but same child Herod is sending the Magi after. So we're going to conclude right there and finish out in the next segment. Okay, so I ended in uh, Matthew chapter two, verse nine or sleek out verse eight. Uh, and I was talking about the child and I brought in Zohar Balak six verse or section 37. Zohar Balak six, section 37. You need to know that particular passage of Zohar because it talks about the child who is not human. And he sounds a lot like Yeshua at a young age. But anyway, back to the Basor portion for Parsha Shemot says, and when you have found him, bring word back to me so that I may come and worship him as well. Boy, don't that sound like the serpent? It's like, oh, I want to worship this guy. It's like, were you not just troubled a minute ago? And did you not cause all of Jerusalem to be troubled? Like everybody's freaking out because they're like, oh, there's a star in the sky. And we heard the king of the Jews was born. And you're like, oh, no, I want to go worship him. It's like, your words are not matching your actions. So wait, your lips worship me, but your heart is far from me. Is that what we're seeing? Anyway, verse nine, after listening to the king, they went their way and behold, the star they had seen in the east went on before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So the star is like, come on, follow me. Follow me this way. Come on, you can do it. Come on, humans. Let me show you how to worship. Come on over here. Just the heavens declaring the glory of Hashem over here. Don't don't mind me. Just a star moving through the sky. Yep, this is the original Google map. Yep, come on, navigate. Don't be rerouting. Follow me. Anyway. So now I will never look at that little blue triangle on my phone again. The same way I want to think about the star that led the Magi to Yeshua. Anyway, talk about technology. Goodness gracious. Okay. Anyway, so the star was like, and you've reached your destination. He's on the right <laughs> at the right hand of the father. All right. Anyway, didn't really say all that, but, you know, might as well. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great gladness. They're like, oh, 
God, this is amazing. It's a supernatural star. How incredible. Baruch Hashem. Verse 11. And when they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Miriam, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another way. I love it because the angel who appeared to, uh, I think it was Avimelech, and to Pharaoh and all that said, hey, don't mess with Sarah. Don't do it. It's not good for you. Same thing with um, don't mess with Rivka, the wife of Yitzhak. It's like, yeah, don't harm, don't harm her. Don't mess with her. Don't do it. If you desire life, I suggest you uh, operate in Shomer Nagia. Same thing with these Magi. They're like, if uh, the angel's telling them, hey, if you uh, desire your life, then you better not go back to Herod. You better get out of here. You've seen the king. You brought your gifts. You can go home now. Thank you. Anyway, and then in verse 13, the angel of Hashem appears to Yosef in a dream. Man, Yosef and dreams and angels. Okay, really? We're going to go all the way back to that? Just got out of those Torah portions at the end of Bereshit. Yosef interpreting dreams and uh, having conversations with the angels to learn the seven, 70 languages. The angel Gabriel, that is, gave him uh, the 70 languages. So anyway, dreams being interpreted by Joseph and all that kind of stuff. So that's all going down. OK, so now, um, yeah, anyway, so that's the Besorah portion it's really like the birth of Moshe and it's like the birth of Abraham. There's a king freaking out because I can't believe this young person is going to be born. They're going to try to take my throne. I ain't got no time for that. Let me just give you a few shots. Okay. Pirkei de Revi Eliezer 26. The trials of Abraham, our father, uh, was tried with 10 trials. He stood firm in them all. Okay, he stood firm in all 10. Just think about that. If you take 10 tests, he got an A on every test. It's like, oh, how hard is that? Did he study? And it's just like, well, he is studying. Anyway, the first trial was when our father was born. Yeah, that's his first trial. Okay, Abraham, if you can be born, let me have you pass this test. It's like, okay, so a baby to be born, Abraham's got to pass the test of being born. How in the world is a baby going to pass the test? Because the test is all the magnets of like the magistrate type people, highly dignitary, noble people of the kingdom and the magicians sought to kill him. And he was hidden under the earth for 13 years without seeing sun or moon. So Hamotzi Lechamin Haaretz, who brings forth the bread, I mean, brings forth Abraham, I mean, brings forth the bread from the earth. Anyway. Abraham spent his first 12 years underground, apparently. <laughs> okay. So that was his first test. Can you uh, spend 12 years hidden? Okay. Baruch Hashem. Just like Moshe spent 12 years hidden. Because Ramban brought that down. And Yeshua, 12 years hidden. 
because uh, him and the family moved around a little bit, Egypt, you know, back to Galilee, Nazareth, all that kind of stuff. And then 12 years old, he's at the temple, he gets left behind, and now he's dumbfounding sages and all this kind of stuff. At 12, and the parents come back, oh my goodness, we thought we lost you. And he's like, didn't you always know I'd be in my father's house? Come on. You know, and they're like, well, no, you come on. We, You, you should have been with us the whole time. Anyway. That's a little drop on that. Uh, Ramban on Bereshit 18.1 says, and he appeared the language of Rashi to visit the sick man. Says Rabbi Hama, the son of Hanina said it was the third day after his circumcision. Hagados Paruku came and inquired about the state of health, state of his health. And behold, three men came. The angels came to him with the appearance of men were three, one to announce to Sarah the birth of a son. So you have angels appearing about announcing the birth of the son. I just want to bring that out. That also applied to Yitzhak. So angels announcing the birth of Yitzhak. Okay, angels announcing the birth of Yeshua. Stars, constellations, kings freaking out about the birth of Abraham, about the birth of Moses, about the birth of Yeshua. Okay, then it says, continuing on, Pirkei, and then Nimrod placed officers over them, took from their children hostages for security that all would be servants unto him and to his brothers. And after Nimrod had thus reduced the people to servitude, he would return home with his men. And after the conquest of Nimrod increased, he always returned victoriously triumphant from the battles with all their enemies around them. Then the peoples all united and came unto Nimrod and elected him their king. They placed a royal crown upon his head and Nimrod appointed princes and judges, generals over his people after the manner of kings for his commander in chief. Nimrod selected Terah, the son of Nahor. Now, here's the interesting thing. The commander in chief of the army of the king who wants to kill all of the possibilities of the one who would be born because of the sign and the stars just so happens to be the son of the person that he selected as his commander in chief. Just like the one who Pharaoh and his astrologers saw is going to be a Jewish guy that's going to be born. He's going to raise up. He's going to take your throne, take over and all this kind of stuff. Oh, by the way, you're going to have to raise him in your household. It's like, okay. <laughs> anyway, a little Moses Abraham connection. It says, so he selected Terra. And he elevated him in greatness above all the other princes. After he was the sole ruler and could not or and could do according to his own wishes, having overpowered all enemies around him, Nimrod summoned all his princes and concluded to build him a city and a royal mansion. And they selected a large valley opposite the rising sun. And in that valley, they built unto him the largest spacious city. And Nimrod called the name of that city Shinar. Yes, this is where the Tower of Babel was built. This is the city of Nimrod. Because everybody's like, we want to build you a mansion. Let's build you a tower in this place. It says, for Adonai, command, Adonai had discomfited 
all his enemies before him that he might conquer them. And Nimrod dwelt in Shinar and reigned therein securely. And he carried on war against all his enemies. He humbled them and he was successful in all his battles and his kingdom grew exceedingly. All nations and all tongues heard of Nimrod's fame. And they assembled and they came to bow down to the ground before him. They brought gifts and he became their Lord and King. Boy, this sounds like what they did to Yeshua. They all came before him. They heard of Yeshua's fame. They came bowed down before him. They brought him gifts. They called him Lord and King and all that. Wow. Okay, and it says they dwelt with him and all in the city of Shinar. And Nimrod was the sole ruler over the earth, over all the sons of Noah, because those were the only people existed because of the flood. Anyway, and all were under his hand and advice. The whole earth was of one language, one speech. That speech, by the way, was Hebrew. Get you some. But Nimrod went no more in the ways of Adonai, and he became more wicked than any of the men that lived before the flood. So at this point, Nimrod was on path with serving Hashem. And then, you know, he was like, whatever, forget this Jewish stuff. So then he became wicked and all that, even beyond the level of the people that lived before the flood. That's ridiculous. Because those people, wow. Okay, and Nimrod made gods of wood and stone, bowed to them. He rebelled against Adonai. He taught all his servants and subjects his own evil ways. Sounds like the church and Christianity. Let's rebel against Hashem. Let's teach all of our evil ways. We don't need to do Torah. We don't need to focus on Jewish stuff. We can do whatever we want. We can just say we believe in God and that's it. And Mardon, son of Nimrod, acted more wickedly than his father. Goodness, I didn't even know there was space for that. And whoever heard of his actions would say, from the wicked comes wickedness. Since then, the saying was in the land, from the wicked comes wickedness. And it had become an adage in the language of all men from that time unto this very day. And Terah, or Terach, the son of Nahor, the chief of Nimrod's army, was very great in those days in the eyes of the king as well as in the eyes of all his servants. And the king and the princes loved him and exalted him. And Terach took unto himself a wife, and her name was Amtela, the daughter of Carneba. And she conceived and bare a son in those days. And Terach was 70 years old when she bare him. And Terach called the name of the son born to him, Avraham, saying, In these days the king has raised and exalted me over all the princes that are with him. So side note, Avraham was named about what? Terok felt about himself. He's like, I'm so exalted. I'm so raised over all the princes of man. My child is even named exalted and raised above all the people around me. So I go, okay. So that's, that's how we name our children, huh? No, that's not. But anyway, that's from Sefer Hayashar, the book of Jasher, uh, from Noach, 
section eight through nine. Anyway, uh, so I just smashed up some Pure Kader Rebbe Yeliezer, uh, 26, and some Sefer HaYashar. So now let's get into Moshe. Daily Wisdom brings down in the second reading, Shemot 118 through 210, 30 years of conscripted labor did not succeed in breaking the Jews' spirit or curbing their fertility. So Pharaoh intensified their slavery by having them perform meaningless tasks. Five years after subjecting the Jews to this demoralizing labor, Moshe was born to Amram, the grandson of Jacob's son, Levi, and Yaakovit. Levi's daughter. So Amram and Yaakovid. Amram is the grandson of Levi and Yaakovid is the daughter of Levi. Okay, so literally Amram married up. All right. It says Paro's astrologers discerned that the Jews future redeemer had been born. So Paro attempted to prevent the redemption by decreeing that every newborn boy be killed. That's from the Daily Wisdom. Okay, uh, just important to note that same Daily Wisdom for the second day's reading. Egypt is the prototype of all exiles. In all exiles, the ruling culture urges us to raise our children in its ways, promising that this is the path to attain material and social success. As in Egypt, resisting these promises and ensuring that our children grow up cherishing the Torah's values is what will guarantee their material, social, and spiritual happiness, as well as their freedom from the bonds of exile. Also, the this daily reading portion, sourcing out Lakute Sakot, volume one, page 111. Just want to bring up what good is it for the man to gain the whole world, then to lose his own soul. That's from the words of Yeshua. So we see it right there. So if you're thinking... If I raise my children in this world today, I got to teach them Torah and cherish the values of being Jewish and all that kind of stuff. Man, I don't know if it's going to work out for them. It's like, OK, so if you're going to trade all that in to ensure that they have material and social success, then you're going to cause them to give up their own soul. And you're losing your own soul in the process because you uh, brought that soul into the world. So therefore, you're causing a piece of yourself to even be thrown away. However, if you give them the Torah, they will take dominion over the world. That's the thing. You think that if you give up your life, but Yeshua says, if you give it up, you're going to gain it. If you lose it, then you'll find it. But if you seek to find it, and if you seek to gain it, you're going to lose it. So that's the thing. So my final point here, because... Uh, I mean, goodness, so much. Uh, this is a Rashi drop on um, Shemot 122, talking about Pharaoh gave command regarding all his people. It says, regarding them too, he made a decree, so to 12a. For on the day when Moshe was born, his astrologers said to him, Today their deliverer has been born, but we know not whether he is born of an Egyptian father or an Israelite. So the Redeemer of the Jews, we can't tell if he's a Jew or if he's not. But he's born today. 
Because Yeshua, people, for some reason, think he's a non-Jew, even though he's a Jew. And they can't tell if he's like a Jewish stuff person or not. So, back to Moshe, though. Can't tell if he's an Egyptian or if he's an Israelite. But we see by our astrological art that he will ultimately suffer misfortune through water. He's he's ultimately going to die by water, so it doesn't matter. Is he Egyptian? Is he Israelite? Put some water on him. So Pharaoh therefore made a decree that day regarding the Egyptians also. As it is said here, every son that is born, you shall cast into the river. And it is not stated every son who is born to the Hebrews. They, the astrologers, however, were not aware that Moshe was ultimately to suffer misfortune through the waters at Meribah and not through the waters of the Nile. Shemot Rabbah 118. I would love to read that. Shemot Rabbah 118. Can we, can we crack a late on that? Shemot Rabbah 118. Thanks a lot, Rashi, for, uh, for the goods. Shemot Rabbah 118. All right says it was because the astrologers foresaw that the savior of Israel would be stricken by water and they thought that this meant that he would drown in water but it was not so rather it was via a well of water that a decree of death was ultimately issued against him this is obviously when he struck the rock the Egyptians devised deep counsel to ensure that the Holy One, blessed be he, would not extract retribution from them through water. For they knew that the Holy One, blessed be he, repays iniquity only measure for measure. And they were confident that God would not bring a flood on the world. Thus, they issued a decree to drown the boys in the water. But they wasn't expecting the sea. Because the sea of reeds, the Yom Suf, drowned them. All right. So that is my uh, sourcing out of everything. Oh, my goodness. I just got to share the Zohar. Zohar Shemot 19. Just want to say that uh, in section 184, the Holy One, blessed be he, assisted him, Amram, for we learn that the Shekinah dwelt on their bed, Amram and Yaakov's bed. The Shekinah dwelt there. Hashem himself assisted in the conception, basically. And that their attention when they cleaved together was on the Shekinah. Therefore, the Shekinah was not removed from the son whom they bore so as to fulfill what is written and you shall sanctify yourselves and you shall be holy. Vayikra 1144. A person sanctifies himself from below. So the Holy One, blessed be he, sanctifies him from above. As their intention was the cleaving of the Shekinah, so did the Shekinah cleave to their very actions. So in other words, Moshe was filled with the Shekinah of Hashem 
and uh, Hashem caused the conception of Moshe through Amram and Yaakov's union. And through that, Hashem infused the Shekinah into Moshe. So when Moshe was born, the light, the room was filled with light and his mother called him good. And it's just like, wow. Okay. Anyway, so what do we synthesize from all this with the, the birth of the Redeemer, the C-class of Shemot? We synthesize from this that the, the Redeemer is born during the exile. He shows up, he goes away, and he returns. In the meantime of him returning, the exile gets more intense, and we must remain true and focused to the mission. And so many enticements and so many things that want to pull us away come at us. However, we're called to remain firm and stay true to that. Because Aharon and Miriam, who led quite a substantial amount of the Jews in Moshe's absence when he had to flee from Egypt and go to Midian and all that kind of stuff, become king of Ethiopia and all that, get married to Zipporah and go to Mount Sinai, see the burning bush and all that kind of stuff. Aharon and Miriam were holding it down. They were telling the Jewish people, keep praying, keep davening, keep studying, keep uh, laboring. You know, you won't labor in vain. Hashem is going to redeem us and it's going to be good, you know, and it's just kind of like, wow. So for us, we should know, yes, we are in exile. Yes, things are tough. Things are challenging. People want us to abrogate the mission, whether they want us to give up being Jewish, whether they want us to stop studying, whether they want us to stop davening, whether they want us to stop doing Jewish stuff or being Jewish, looking Jewish, whatever you want to call it, being in covenant with Hashem, whatever that is, they want us to stop doing it. But that's the thing. We don't and we won't. So class is now ended. And let us all say, Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bakar Slika. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet, Vechaye Olam Natabetokeinu. Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah. Amen.